Well, greetings uh, to all our listeners. We are here with another fascinating episode of Drive Through HR. I am Robin Schooling, and along with me is my co-host, Michael Vandervoort. Hello, Michael. Hello, Robin. How are you today? I am good. I'm uh, I'm overwhelmed because I didn't even get a chance to tell you this um, personally, but we've had uh, two weeks of um plumbers and construction people in the house to deal with a busted pipe under the floorboards of our 60 year old house so we've been ripping out floors and demoing walls ourselves um and allowed folks to come in and jackhammer the foundation (laughs) and so i'm living in a construction zone of cement and dust and, and your your dogs i'm sure your dogs are highly confused about what the hell's going on right the dogs are uh are so confused although they have loved when we took down this wall they're like super excited to be able to walk through like where there used to be a wall so. <laughs> dogs are dogs are great so well anyway i'm sorry you're having to go through that i went through two uh through two two similar situations in my condo in Atlanta and both were nightmares. So I, 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 I hate any mention of water or anybody brings it up. So. Exactly. Exactly. Ooh, that's actually a really good segue. I think to our oh. conversation for today, All right. um, because our guest today, who I'm so excited to have on the show um, is someone that I first connected with online years ago, pre pandemic, let's say, um, and have long wanted to chat with him, and I'm so glad that he's here. So let me welcome our guest today, Chris Rollins. Hello, Chris. Hello, Robin. Hello, Michael. Thanks for having Hello, me on the show. Chris. Thanks. Welcome to Drive Through. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so as we like to kick off with um, Chris, why don't you introduce yourself to our listeners? Absolutely. I'll, I'll keep it brief, but I. Uh, I am a, a keynote speaker. I am a community builder. And as I'll talk more about creator of the ripple effect leader, which I'm excited to share more about with you today. And I'm also a former HR exec. So I spent uh, quite a bit of time running a, an HR team for a company I was at when I was back in New York City and uh, and actually just left that job right before COVID. Um, and so I was watching everything happen sort of from the outside <laughs> uh, and uh, bringing a lot of uh, a lot of empathy to those that were having to deal with all of that. Yes. Uh, at the time. Yes. That that uh, I will never the collective HR world will never forget <laughs> that time and the badges uh, that were earned, I think, from everything everybody went through it was quite something for the profession. Um, so um, good, succinct intro. But as we launch into our conversation today, um, I think what's going to really set the stage well for us is to have you tell us, um, tell us your story, uh, for want of a better word, tell us your story how you've arrived where you are today and and kind of how things have evolved for you. Yeah, thanks for the invitation. And I'll I'll take you back really to the beginning when I was just six years old and my dad bought me my first set of golf clubs. And at mm-hmm. eight, I was 
you know, just obsessed. I'd be watching Phil Mickelson, Tiger Woods on TV while chipping right there in my living room. When I uh, was a junior in high school, I actually went to a boarding school just for golfers. Uh, oh, wow. yes, that that does exist. And, <laughs> you know, it's a big decision because I left my my friends, my family. I broke up with my girlfriend, Lindsay, at the time. But it all paid off and I, I got a scholarship to play division one at Davidson college. And so when I'm moving in freshman year, I meet this guy across the hall. His name is Chase and Chase and I become best friends hanging out together all the time. And one afternoon we're in my room talking and I just notice I fade out the words that he's saying. And now I'm just watching his lips move <laughs> and I'm thinking, huh, he's, kind of cute and later that <laughs> night we're you know we're pre-gaming on the hall with the guys like we always do and chase and i exchange some glances i even pretend to point at something across the room just to graze his hand and it's like a jolt <laughs> of electricity runs through me the next morning i wake up and there's chase in my bed <laughs> and i know what happened last night, but I know I am not gay. Two weeks later, I wake up and there's Chase in my bed again. <laughs> that night, I look myself straight in my eyes in the bathroom mirror and I say, what the heck is wrong with you? Hmm. But that summer when I kissed Chase for the first time, I know. So we mm -hmm. go back to school that fall and we are keeping things on the down low. <laughs> mm -hmm. Meanwhile, my dad has been calling and calling and I'm just ignoring him because he only ever wants to talk about three things, golf, <laughs> grades, and girls. And mm -hmm. I don't know <laughs> how I'm going to tell him about Chase, but I know I got to tell him. So three weeks later, we're having dinner after this golf tournament in Georgia, and he's about to sign the dinner check. I finally say, Dad, I'm gay, and I'm happy. His hmm. name is Chase. Hmm. My dad drops the pen he's using to sign the check, and then he looks at me, and he says, I am so proud of you. Hmm. That's Awesome. Mm. You know, and, and later that night, I think to myself, that went really well. <laughs> and I, I know that it might not have. Yeah. But it did because my dad made me feel safe, seen, accepted. And, and I know the way that he showed up in that moment, the way he handled that one conversation was the key reason I was able to become SVP of organizational development at a $40 million company with 200 mm. employees by the age of 30. And, mm. and that's why today I help organizations develop leaders who create those same kind of ripple effects for mm. their people, because everybody, everybody deserves to feel safe, seen, and heard, especially mm. during difficult conversations. Mm -hmm. mm. Yeah. Yeah. My, uh, my middle son, who's in his 40s now and is a PhD and one, a legislative director for a state of house representative in, in New York State. And 
happily gay, came out when he was 14 in semi-rural <laughs> school system in Indiana. And I won't I won't go into that whole story, but you know, we we provided him with a safe, happy, but he was bipolar and had some other issues going into high school and college and could easily have ended up a much worse place than he is today, you know, yeah. easily. And um, so that that just kind of hits me right in the the middle of my mm. my spine, Chris. Well, thanks for sharing that. Um, well, yeah, I love to hear I love to hear stories of parents and yes, uh, talking to parents who took that same path, who took the time yes. to you know respond rather than react in that moment to because it does make a huge difference and it creates an, mm. a, 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 a yeah it wasn't like we effect. didn't sorry talking over you I didn't mean to sorry yeah, it, it wasn't like we didn't know but even so when when a kid comes out at that age it, you know it, it, we had to move literally to the other side of town mm. to get away from some bad mm -hmm. you know sort of social you know anyway it was it was yeah. a long long hard slog for him but he's done very well mm. i'm really proud of him so um and congratulations to you this uh, that story what, that you just shared kind of led into where i guess where you are today in your speaking career and your practice um which is wrapped around uh the ripple effect leadership so let's let's uh let's pivot over there and talk about talk about that and what's what's the first principle and what what is the whole thing about yeah, and this all—it's funny because because when I left my corporate job, I didn't know exactly where I wanted to be going. I knew I knew that my next step would would be really purpose driven and purpose aligned, and that was most important to me. And I am happy to have honored that. But the more I did coaching work with leaders, the more I kept finding that the same kinds of principles that that I was coaching my my clients around were the principles that helped me get to where I was in my career and um were the kind of the key principles for creating that safe space for creating more inclusive teams to bring more humanity into the workplace and so the first principle that I share around ripple effect leadership is this idea that you are the pebble it starts with you every single person Everywhere they go, inside and outside of their organization, is creating ripples. Uh, every conversation you have, every piece of feedback you give, every time you lead a meeting, every time you're coaching as an HR leader, coaching one of your uh, one of your peers or your team members, every single interaction is creating a ripple. And sometimes those ripples are good, and sometimes they're bad. And so we need to get present the impact that those ripples are having on other people and being active contributors to the safety and trust that we're building with teams around us. And just a little context, because I think it's helpful, Edelman every year puts out what they call the trust barometer mm -hmm. and the 2023 yeah. trust barometer, they found that four and five people are unwilling to work with someone who disagrees with their point of view. Yeah. So I read this and I thought, wow, this, this kind of, it just kind of hit me because I sensed the polarization that was happening in our workplaces and in our world. But to have that data that really showed that, you know, 80% of people 
would rather just work with someone who dis who agrees with them mm -hmm. uh, just made it really clear to me that collaboration communication teamwork is going to be really challenging if we can't find ways to connect with people who are different mm -hmm. from us mm -hmm. yeah for sure and that's that's like omnipresent problem across our whole society right not yes not just, it, i mean certainly in america where but worldwide it seems on many many levels and it just I, it drives me crazy um so, yeah um just a kind of a follow-up question on that um which is driving towards the point you just made um there's a kind of a politically driven effort to kind of take dei conversation offline i, I don't know how else to say it I mean, like you know there's one party that is sort of like wanting and you live in a state where this is a huge a huge issue um how did it, it and the, the idea of the pebble and the image imagery that you use do you consider your work dei work or is it more leadership work or is it is it a blend and how do you kind of overcome those concerns that is such a good question michael and it's something that i'm still grappling with to be honest with you um I really feel like my work is at the intersection of dei and leadership and at the end of the day I think DEI is all about leadership. It's all about how we're showing up for the people that are directly in front of us. And so I would say it's it's more in the leadership world, but the impact of the work that I'm doing is directly tied to outcomes that organizations would probably put more in the DEI bucket mm -hmm. if they were to if they were to name mm -hmm. that. Um, yeah, but I'm certainly but, yeah. Sorry. I don't consider myself, you know, a DEI expert. I wouldn't, you know, be hired to come into a company and to analyze all their systems and processes to be, you know, to become a more um, equitable uh, program. My specialty is is working with people and helping change the way people think and act and feel, um, so that they can create more inclusive, high trust. What, yeah, I, what, I was gonna, what I was going to say is for those that since we record on Zoom, we can see each other, but the listeners won't. Robin and I are bobbing our heads like bobblehead dolls. Yes. So <laughs> we, 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 we totally relate and agree. But uh, anyway, so thanks, Chris, for the for the follow up. Uh, Robin, go ahead. Yeah, I know. I'm, I, I'm, I'm like a little puppet on a string here, nodding along with every word coming out of Chris's mouth. Um, and, and, and to Michael's point as well, I just... What's always captivated me uh, as you built, uh, you know, ripple ripple effect and kind of ripple effect leadership is that imagery of uh, of it. I, because I can just I see it right. It's just very visual mm. to me um, as you talk about it. So I know the kind of the second key principle is polishing the pebble. Um, so you are the pebble. I'm the pebble. We're all pebbles. Um, and the second the second concept is polishing that. What do you mean by that? What um, what does polishing the pebble imply? Yeah, absolutely. And so so once we've accepted responsibility that everybody's the pebble, and this is an important point because when I talk about leadership, I I'm not talking about title, I'm not talking about position, I'm not talking about salary, I'm talking mm -hmm. about how you act, how you behave, how you show up in a one-on-one -on -one conversation. So everybody, in my opinion, has the opportunity to lead from wherever they are. And mm -hmm. so once you acknowledge that and, 
I think it really helps empower people, especially maybe earlier in their careers or lower in the ranking of, of uh, titles within an organization. Mm -hmm. This is about how, how you show up. And so I've identified five key skills that I think help become, help you become what I describe as a ripple effect leader. And so those five skills are vulnerability, kindness, empathy, curiosity, and humility. And in the past three years alone, not to mention the many, many years of managing teams and working as an HR exec, the thousands of coaching hours that I've had, I, I think any interpersonal problem, any challenge, any situation where someone needs support to break through on a, an issue or an opportunity, if you just look at that challenge through the lens of these five skills, mm -hmm. you'll have the answer of how to, how to move forward. And so mm -hmm. to me, it's, it's a really powerful filter to say, how can I show up in this moment with a little bit more vulnerability, a little bit more kindness, a little bit more empathy, a little bit more curiosity and a little bit more mm -hmm. humility. And, mm -hmm. uh, and I think it's important to acknowledge that none of us, you don't just, you don't just achieve ripple effect leadership status. And that's it. These are skills that you're practicing over and over and mm -hmm. over again, just like anything that you would polish, you have to keep polishing things to make sure, you know, you're, uh, th that you're, Showing up in a way that's going to have the impact that you yeah. intend to. Yeah. So really, it's a commitment uh, that I invite people into to keep practicing these skills over and over again. And that's certainly, you know, that's the that's the hard self work, right? Um, is is practicing those skills and and understanding what it means to demonstrate vulnerability, for example. Uh, so. So practicing it for myself is one thing, but it's uh, a secondary piece of that is modeling that behavior. And so especially thinking in the workplace, in a workplace setting, um, how does how does someone model that behavior? How do they model empathy or, or vulnerability or curiosity? Uh, what what have you seen people do? Well, what's important to me about my work is that I'm also modeling this for other people. Mm -hmm. So I don't want to go into an organization or onto a stage at a conference and just talk about platitudes and talk about theories about leadership because yeah. that's not going to, that's not going to do anything. Um, a good friend of mine, Andrew, Andrea Butcher, who um, she's a, also a coach and a, and, and a consultant and she hates the word, Tr leadership training because you can't train someone yeah you know from the outside it's a, it's an inside job and I love that and and so for me when I show up to an organization the first thing I do is I share my story and my story regardless of the audience tends to make people like a little uncomfortable <laughs> um and I like that and I encourage that and Without fail, when I share my story and then get people into an activity where they're connecting with each other, they've seen someone be vulnerable 
Yeah. And so they're more primed to be vulnerable themselves. And yeah. there is no forced vulnerability. There's no, you have to do X, Y, Z. You have to share these things. But when you start showing up in that way, it creates an environment where people want to do the same. And yeah. so a, pro a prompt that I, I borrowed from the amazing people at Culture Amp and the Culture First community that I love is mm -hmm. if you really, if you really knew me, you would know that blank and you, and you fill in the blank. Hmm. And it's a, such an amazing invitation that gets a lot deeper into knowing somebody. Yes. And, and so, so my clients have, they now use that. They use that in meetings. They use that when they're starting um, getting together with new people. And so that's the, that's an example of, of how to just yeah. lead um, with some of those skills. Yeah. I want to go on a tangent for a second, which I'm prone to do. It's one of my bad <laughs> habits, but um, this is this is actually pertinent and personal. And so I ran an organization for several years, a few years ago, that put on conferences, and we were we were an HR serving community um, in the in the positive employee relations space. And I had a woman, transgender woman named Natalie Egan come and present uh, in Vegas in 2019 and share her story about uh, her transition and, and, and how that affected her from a privileged perspective and a number of other things. And she, so she's a speaker. And um, fast forward to like last week, somebody that I work with here where I work at a company that I work at now attended that session and came to me and said, do you remember that lady that spoke to us about privilege? I wanted to see about reaching out to her and I'm, and, and I, and I was struck by that because I mean, coincidentally it's in my own, you know, my own employer, but the fact that like what I, something that we set up as a learning opportunity four years ago, going on five right. years ago, rippled back, you know, kind of, and, 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 and I just love the idea that you can plant these seeds and maybe they don't take in the day. And I sort of I sort of see that a, a similar thing, Chris, in what you you know, kind of the efforts that you're talking about with the way people work, and and it leads into the segue to the to the question that we we're mm -hmm. going to ask, which is your final, I guess your final principle, or maybe not final, but another big principle, jumping in the pond. Let's let's talk about mm -hmm. that. It's kind of like absorbing lessons creates mm -hmm. change, maybe not immediately, but that, that's kind of the thing I'm seeing in this. But what do you see? Well, to me, it's this invitation to, to do something, to take action, even when it's scary, right? And even yeah. when it's uncomfortable. And, you know, recently I, I presented to a group of auto repair shop franchise owners <laughs> in the Florida and in, in the Tampa Bay region. And you know, this is not my typical audience. I'm typically mm -hmm. working with, with big, with big corporates. And the, the person who brought me in was really intentional about bringing me in because she said, you know, we've had problems in the past, especially during election years with people, you know, putting out signs and being very, you know, uh, inflammatory in certain ways. And, and so she said, I think your story and your her presence will help kind of open up thinking a little bit. Mm. And, you know, to be honest, I was a little nervous heading into a, a group like this to share my story. But I, the more I've done this, the more I've learned that, that it's really hard 
to hate someone who's putting themselves fully out there, you know? Yeah. And yeah. And it's hard to hate vulnerability. And so the the conversations that that prompted were so inspiring and the the messages that people were taking away from my talk uh, was was just so beautiful and people coming up to me afterwards and just thanking me for for sharing. And so to me, it's an example of heading into a space where it, it may not feel safe. It feels a little uncomfortable, but but we do it anyway um, because mm -hmm, we know mm -hmm. we know it's the right thing to do and it'll have an impact. Mm -hmm. So. I like to call, you know, we, we, there's a lot of research around psychological safety and, and building trust. And to me, I think about safety as an action. Safety is a verb. It's not this thing that we feel. It's something that you have to do. It's not something mm. that you, you know, dip your toes into, you go in all in, you know? And so, um, that's, that's what I, what I mean when I say jump in the pond and mm. just to kind of bring it full circle you know, people hear my story and, you know, and I'll say, gosh, Chris, you're so, you're so lucky that your dad responded that way. And for a while I hesitated sharing my story because of that. I had this sense of guilt almost that I had such mm -hmm. a great response from my family when so many others have not, mm -hmm. but I've learned one that we need more positive stories. We need more mm -hmm. stories that inspire people. And two, one of the reasons my dad was able to have that response that he did was because of, you know, work that was laid down for years before I even had that conversation with him by people I've never met who were willing mm -hmm. to do what it took to make that conversation over dinner with my dad feel safe. So mm -hmm. I was the recipient of a ripple effect that started long before I came along and is, mm -hmm. and is still continuing today. And mm -hmm. so that's the piece of my work that really fires me up is is especially as HR leaders, you know, what, what ripples are you creating now that's going to have people five, 10, 20 years from now being mm -hmm. grateful recipients of, of how you mm -hmm. showed up today. And, uh, mm -hmm. and that's the message I really want to hit home. Yeah. And I think there's, um, there's a lot of work. There's a good message here because there's a lot of work for, for many HR practitioners and HR leaders, and I'm going to reference conversations in um, various and assorted Facebook groups of, of HR professionals. And there's this, I see this, I, I, I think once a month, somebody brings it up and, and it's, mm. I work in HR and I, in essence, I don't want to get too close to my employees right? I need to keep mm. this line. And uh, so I eat in my office or, um, oh, they, the folks in accounting asked me to come sit with them at lunch, but I, and then people will pile in and say, oh, yep, you're right. Don't go sit with accounting because you're HR and you need to maintain your distance. And it it's so disheartening to me um, mm. because it is the most perfect example for that HR professional, that HR leader to to show their humanity, to demonstrate I, I'm your coworker. I just happen mm -hmm. to work in HR. I've got those responsibilities. You've got you're the I've got accounting responsibilities, whatever it may be. And it and it it hurts me. It wounds me um, as a human being and as an HR professional that that we have folks putting up that that 
that self-imposed barrier and 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 not seeing the importance of connecting with others and um learning from others but also sharing their own their own stories really because it's it's the ability for uh, Sally and HR to sit down and say to an employee I get what you're going through uh, I also have a a teenager whatever the issue may be um I think that's just so important and I I get sad when HR folks don't but yeah now I've digressed I- <laughs> well, just like one comment is I got into HR from a very non-HR background. I worked yeah. in sales and account management for my entire career leading up to that point. So I didn't have SHRM certifications. I wasn't traditionally trained in HR. And that's neither a good nor a bad thing necessarily. But what I did have was really strong relationships with people yeah. all across my business. And there was yeah. no way that I could have been effective in the way that I was without those relationships. And uh, I I don't understand how people who work in HR aren't or don't have, you know, meaningful relationships with their people because that's, that's how we support them. Um, And that's, and and they need to feel safe with us. Yeah. 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 Early in my career, I had hard, hard, bright lines on that. I didn't cross them. I thought same thing. I had to stay away, be neutral. I didn't dare have a friend because you might have to fire them someday or something. And it was a horrible existence because it was super lonely and people thought, you know, they didn't think well of me. And I had, I learned, I had to learn that, that I was wrong on that account and it made a huge difference. Um, Final question for me, Chris, we're going to run a little bit over, but the final question for me is I'm just really curious as you meet with clients and people that are in your workshops, what, what are the, what do they talk to you about? Like when they, you know, you said people come up after and share, what do they talk to you about in terms of what they struggle with and what resonates with the clients that you serve that you hear about? Well, I think on what resonates, I think the, like you said earlier, Robin, the imagery really connects with people mm-hmm. and it's, and it's mm-hmm. powerful and it, and it lasts. And so I'm really thankful for that, that people leave feeling inspired to make a difference and feeling like they can be a catalyst for change no matter where they are in the organization. Mm-hmm. Um, but probably one of the most common questions I get is what do I do if I'm working for a leader who, you know, doesn't embrace these types of skills, who who doesn't mm-hmm. create a safe space mm-hmm. for me or who doesn't model vulnerability. And, you know, it's a big challenge. And that's why I think it's so important to have these conversations on a broader scale so that People, you know, inside an organization have shared language, but in those situations where it's not the case, you know, I say you have to be the leader that you wish you had and keep showing up with these five skills and keep practicing Mm -hmm. them and keep modeling them. And the more you model them, the more you're inviting other people, even if it's your boss to do the same, but know your, know your limits, you know, protect yourself, protect your energy. Um, you can only do so much and and only so much is within your control. So, you know, do what you can until you're putting yourself at risk. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, what a great conversation as I knew it would be. I am, <laughs> um, I'm, I'm gonna, we're going to get off this call and I'm, I'm, going to be doing some thinking so that's uh, <laughs> that's the beauty of this conversation um so thank you uh, chris for joining us on drive through hr 
And let's wrap up um, uh, by letting you, uh, let, having you let our listeners know where they can find you, find you online, how they can connect with you, et cetera. Well, please, please do connect with me on LinkedIn, Chris Rollins on LinkedIn. And, uh, and you can find a lot more about me on my website, which is chrisrollins.me, chrisrollins.me. And I'm so grateful to have this conversation with you. It flew by. I could, I could chat with you both all day. Um, and so thanks again for the chance to connect uh, after so many years of knowing each other online. Absolutely. It's great, great to have you as a guest. Thanks so much. Yep. Thank you both. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, Michael. And thanks to our listeners for joining us on Drive Through HR. Bye, everybody. Bye.